In the small group meetings, you'll be looking more closely at the uh, transfiguration as recorded in Matthew 17, where um, Jesus goes up to that mountain and transfigures before uh, Peter, James, and John. And well, we'll get into that a bit later, but in this passage from 2 Peter, Peter remembers that time as a time of uh, declaring authority for Jesus Christ. And that passage is, uh, that we're looking at today is 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is dealing with some people within the early church who were questioning some things. They were questioning whether uh, this second coming of Christ would actually happen, and he throughout this letter is making an appeal to trust in the scriptures, trust in what has been revealed to them. And here he gives us a reason uh, to trust, to trust what God has said through the scriptures and through his witness. There are so many voices in the world today, and I, I know I bring this up so often, but it's true. There are so many voices, so many people claiming to have the truth, and so many people claiming that others are wrong and then that they're right. I remember in this, as we enter the election campaign, I, I don't want to get into that too much, but I remember as a kid walking up the stairs in my elementary school and someone saying, if, you, if your parents vote for Richard Nixon, we're going to have school all year long. <laughs> and I was scared because I didn't want to go to school all year long. And it feels like those are some of the claims that are being made today about on that level of if this person's elected, it's going, oh, everything's going to go terribly. And if this person's elected, same thing. Now, of course, we have our convictions and we want to see um, our convictions be the ones that prevail, but let's not fall into the trap of believing things that are just trying to get us more worried than we need to be. The main pr 
problem, I think, today, and I say this all the time, and most of the time when I say it, and I'm gonna watch you, people's eyes glaze over. They don't, I don't think they get what I'm trying to say, but I'm gonna keep saying it until Monday, maybe I'll see one of those little light bulbs go off over someone's head. But I think that one of the biggest problems we have today, one of the biggest problems the church has today in uh, being effective witnesses, but even more so, well not more so, but just as, as big, our society shares this same problem. And that problem is that we have become the most individualistic society in the history of humanity. People believe that truth inhabits their own hearts, that the source of their truth is their own heart. And we have decided one way or the other for one, whatever reason to disconnect from any external source of truth. It used to be that people sought truth through their family relationships. Well, I know who I am because I am a Thomas. I know who I am because of what my parents have taught me. In the wedding liturgy in the Presbyterian Church, at least up to now, I believe, it says, God, we pray that in the midst of this changing generation, the words, the words of our generation change constantly, speak your eternal word that does not change. But around us, things change all the time, and they change so easily because truth exists within ourselves. We can make the truth whatever we think it should be, and we have nothing to hold on to that is outside of ourselves. Okay, eyes are still glazed, but I'm gonna keep trying. The point is, and the point that uh, is made by Peter in this passage is there is something outside of us, there is something glorious, there is something that we answer to, there is someone that we answer to, and it is only when we connect ourselves with that answer that we truly understand who we are. You can't keep looking inside to figure out who you are because you were created. You were made by God and God created you. God created you with a plan, with a purpose. God created you with a heart filled with love and mercy. But when you see yourself just as an individual separated from everything else, I truly believe that some of the struggles people are having today with depression, with hopelessness, is because there's nothing outside of them that they can hold on to. And if I try to find all the strength and all the wisdom that I need to live from inside myself, that's a hopeless place to be. Maybe you have more strength inside yourself than I do, but probably not enough to carry the weight of human life, to carry the weight of the decisions that we are called to make. Thank God that our Creator has revealed himself to us and shown us who we are and who he is. And that's the glory that Peter wants us to understand here. Peter wants believers to believe and live the truth. And he is grateful that God has revealed this truth. And the transfiguration, which he goes back to here, um, 
we were eyewitnesses, verse 16, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty was a proof. They had walked with Jesus. They had seen miracles. They had heard his his, um, speaking, which had authority beyond any of the other teachers. They knew that he was very special, that there was something remarkable about Jesus. But in this moment of transfiguration, they saw a glimpse of glory like no one had seen before. Remember when Moses was on a mountain similar to this, and he viewed God, he didn't enter into God's presence, he just viewed him from a distance, and when he came down from the mountain, his face glowed with reflection of God's glory. And then we see Jesus glowing. He is the cloud of glory. Remember the cloud that, that uh, showed the Israelites where to go in the desert and was, was uh, fire at night and a cloud during the day? The glory of God, Jesus, was that glory of God, and the disciples saw it. And Moses and Elijah were there too. And Peter, well, I'll get into that in a second. Why were Moses and Elijah there? And I believe it's because Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. In other words, the witness that the people had been given in the law and the prophets, which is the the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew scriptures, pointed to Jesus Christ. And at this moment, the law and the prophets have come together in this one. He answers the law. He answers the prophets. He fulfills the law, and he fulfills the prophecies. He is the glory that God has desired to reveal. And uh, if you're in a small group and watch the video, you'll hear um, this compared to uh, the Wizard of Oz, as I compared it to Superman or Batman with the kids. It's also comparable to the Wizard of Oz. You know, they make the long journey and they go to find the wizard and oh, the, the theatrics that surround the wizard and it looks like the wizard must be someone amazing. And then when the wizard is revealed, when they look behind the curtain, he's nothing. He's nothing like what they expected. He's a disappointment. But this is the Wizard of Oz in reverse. The disciples knew that Jesus was great. The disciples knew that Jesus was powerful. The disciples knew that Jesus was amazing. And they had begun to understand that Jesus is God. But when they stood on that mountain and saw his glory revealed, there was no more doubt that this man is God. And far more glorious, far more wonderful, far more amazing than we could have ever imagined before. But Peter... Peter was the one who always spoke before thinking. He acted before thinking. He took a knife or sword out of his whatever he wore. I guess they didn't have pockets, but sliced off the ear at at the arrest of Jesus. He just was an impulsive kind of guy. And his impulse at this moment, seeing Jesus in his glory, speaking to Moses and Elijah, he says, oh, should should I make little shelters for you? 
what? And commentators wonder why he thought that was a good plan. And uh, the, one I, the commentator I like the best, and of course I don't know that this is true, but this person uh, thought that maybe he was saying, should I put up shelters for you so that we can make this, make this experience permanent? Maybe even sell tickets. People can come up on this mountain and see the glory of God revealed. And hey, we got Moses back and Elijah back. Let's, let's, let's get people to see this thing. Or it could be just that he says, oh, welcome back to earth. Um, what, what, can, what can I do to make you, make you feel comfortable? Who knows? But the most wonderful part of this passage, or that passage in Matthew is, that in the middle of Peter's sentence, God says, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. In other words, Peter, shush. Peter, stop trying to think you can figure it out yourself. Peter, you have God's authority, God's goodness and grace, God's wisdom right here in front of you, and you're trying to use your own brain to figure things out. Listen to him. A word that we all need, a word that we all need to be reminded of over and over and over again. For we tend to go out with our own thinking, try to figure things out, and try to move ahead with our plans. It can happen even in churches. Churches can develop their five-year programs, their, their mission plans, and all of this stuff. And if they're not listening to God, God might say, thanks for trying. That's not what I'm asking you for. It's only when we listen to the voice of God first that we understand what God truly desires. Doctors, in the age of Google, if you ask them, they will start and they won't be able to stop telling you how frustrating it is that nearly all of their patients come in having researched all their symptoms and try to tell the doctor what is wrong and what prescription they need to write. Theologians have similar comments to make. One is, please don't confuse your Google search for my 16 years of training. Today, Everyone wants to be the expert. Everyone wants to know, think that they know what is right and what is good. The, even in religious orders, the, the monks, one preacher said that he visited a monastery and the people that came through would often ask the monks why they don't do this or why they do this and pretty much telling them, well, you really should do it this way. And the monks love to say amongst themselves, isn't it interesting that those who have no experience with what we're doing think that they know better than we? And I don't know if you notice, but I've noticed, and I notice it again and again and again, that writers of television programs have become experts in how the church should behave and what the church should think. 
If you watch many programs, whenever they deal with religious people, but especially with Christianity, they will present a certain type of Christianity as the acceptable way and another type of Christianity as not acceptable. They are trying to tell us, through their very powerful medium, how we should behave. And they're not just telling us, they're telling the world. But writers of TV programs are not our authority. God is our authority, and we must listen to him. Peter wants to get busy. He wants to do something. And God says, no, just listen. And many of you are very active people. You are the kind of people that don't like to sit still. You don't want to let any grass grow under your feet. You want to just keep moving. You want to be busy. You want to do something. And that's a good thing in a lot of contexts, but there are times when you have to stop. You have to listen. And again, as I've said a couple of weeks now, Lent is a wonderful time to force ourselves to stop and to listen. Henry Nouwen says it's important to have times of quiet, solitary listening. In solitude, he says, we become aware that our worth is not the same as our usefulness. We become freed from a preoccupation with usefulness. When we become freed from a preoccupation with usefulness, we can be freed from our dependencies and form a community of faith in which there is little to defend, but much to share. When we know that our value is not wrapped up in how much we do, or even in how well we do it, we can form a real and honest community. Yesterday in praise team rehearsal, Karen told us, just sing out, even if it's wrong. Because then she can hear what we're doing wrong. But when we sort of quietly sing the wrong things and then it all adds together, it adds together to something not so good. But it's when we're willing, and it takes something to do this, when we're willing to let others see that we don't have it all right. When we're willing to let others understand that we're not perfect, that is when true community can form. And it's not like we're sharing how bad we are so that we can stay there. There are fellowships like that that you could find probably. But it is we share honestly our struggles because we know that our value is not tied into how well we do. Our value is tied into who we are in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are free. Free not to prove ourselves by how busy we are. Free not to prove ourselves by how right we are. Free not to try to prove ourselves by how smart we are, but free to be. Free to be those who relate to God as those who are forgiven and made clean in Christ, and then free to relate to each other as those who are not perfect, 
but those who know that we're loved no matter what. And what a glorious freedom that is when you find people that you can relate to in that way. Now, on the way down the mountain, as recorded in Matthew 17, the disciples talk about John the Baptist, that he was killed. And Jesus, once again, like he's been doing with Peter, reminds Peter and the rest that he will also die. When they go off of this mountain where they experience glory, they know that they're going back into the darkness, into the trials and struggles of life. We also walk through trials and struggles in life. And the best way to do so is with, by remembering the glory by remembering that God is still good, that God is with us, that God is walking with us through this time, and that God, God's glory will be revealed ultimately when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom. And all the things that have been trials and struggles in this life, as Paul calls them, our light and momentary afflictions will be gone and even hard to remember because of the glory of God revealed. So, trust. Trust the truth. Trust the truth that God has revealed. The truth of the law and the prophets. The truth of scripture. And, and Peter makes a, a strong point of saying, this stuff, people, is not made up. The prophets didn't just say, oh, I think I want people to think this way, so I'm going to say that. The prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit, given the truth by God, and then revealed that truth through the Scripture to us. So we must trust it. And sometimes we won't like it. But isn't that the point? As Tim Keller says, if you don't trust the Bible enough to let it challenge and correct your thinking, how could you ever have a personal relationship with God? If you pick and choose what you want to believe and you reject the rest, how will you ever have a God who can contradict you? You won't. You'll have a Stepford God. You don't, you don't want a God like that. You don't want a step for God, a God essential to your own making and not a God with whom you can have a relationship and genuine interaction. Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as in a real friendship or marriage, will you know that you have gotten a hold of a real God and not a figment of your own imagination. So an authoritative Bible is not the enemy of a personal relationship with God. It is the precondition for it. Now, he talks about Stepford Wives. I really am not familiar with that concept. But in other places, he talks about Dr. or Mr. Mudd. Now, this is going way back to when Star Trek was about Mr. Spock and Captain Kirk. And they go to a planet, and there's a man named Mr. Mudd there. And Mr. Mudd has created his wife. He has created his wife to be just what he wants her to be, and he hides her behind a screen. And when he wants to interact with her, he opens the screen, and there she is. And If ever she says anything he doesn't like, the screen comes down. Mr. Mudd has created a wife that reflects only what he wants, only when he wants it. 
So all Mr. Mudd has created is an, ex is an extension of himself. And so many people, and even ourselves, at some times, have created a God that is no more than an extension of ourselves. If we come to God's word and say, well, I like this part and I don't like that part, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe this part and not believe that part, all you're doing is creating a Bible that reflects a God that is just an extension of yourself, not a God that exists outside yourself. People, don't do it. Because there's not enough, there's not enough within ourselves to give us a solid foundation on which to base our lives. There's definitely a not, eno not enough within ourselves to build a solid foundation to face eternity or even to open the doors of eternity. God tells us things that we like and God tells us things that challenge us. The key is trust God. Trust God's word. For that word is the gateway to glory, the gateway to understanding who you are and who God is, and the gateway to walking confidently into the kingdom of God as God reveals it.